0: So we're continuing in 1 Samuel, and this morning I'm going to read uh, chapters 10 and 11. So it's quite a chunk, but um, just need the whole two chapters to set the context of how I feel God wants to lead us uh, this morning. So last week we thought about uh, Saul and Samuel uh, meeting up for the first time, um, and, um, and then Samuel getting ready to go. Uh, back home uh, then Samuel taking him to one side and then this follows on basically from that chapter 10 verse 1 then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him saying has not the lord anointed you leader over his inheritance when you leave me today you will meet two men near rachel's tomb at zilzah on the border of benjamin they will say to you the donkeys you set out to look for have been found and now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you he is asking, what shall I do about my son? Then you will go out from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from, from them. After that, you will go to Gebeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet the procession of prophets coming down from the high place, with lyres, tambourines, flutes and harps being played before them, and they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Go down ahead of me to Gilgal, I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. When they arrived at Gebir, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he joined in their prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, What is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? A man who lived there answered, and who is their father? So it became a saying, is Saul also among the prophets? After Saul stopped prophesying, he went to the high place. Now Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, where have you been? Looking for the donkeys, he said. But when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. Saul's uncle said, tell me what Samuel said to you. Saul replied, he assured us that the donkeys had been found, but he did not tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingship. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your calamities and distresses. And you have said, no, send a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. When Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, the tribe of Ben—sorry—when Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was chosen. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, "Has the man come here yet?" And the Lord said, "Yes, he has hidden himself among the bag- baggage." They ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king! Samuel explained to the, the people the regulations of the kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited, them, uh, deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people, each to his own home. Saul also went to his home in Kabir accompanied by valiant men valiant men whose, whose hearts God had touched. But some troublemakers said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts. But Saul kept silent. Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabish Gilead. And all the men of Jabish said to him, make a treaty with us and we will be subject to you. But Nahash the Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gorge out the right eye of every one of you and so bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days so that we can send messengers throughout Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, we will surrender to you. When the messengers came to Gabir of Saul and reported these terms to the people, they all wept aloud. Just then, Saul was turning from the fields behind his oxen and he asked, What is wrong with the people? Why are they weeping? Then they repeated to him what the men of Jebesh had said. When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came upon him in power, and he burned with anger. He took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces, and sent the pieces by messengers messengers throughout Israel, proclaiming, This is what we done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. Then the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they turned out as one man. When Saul mustered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered 300,000, and the men of Judah... 30,000. They told the messengers who had come, say to the men of Jabish Gilead, by this time tomorrow when the sun is hot, you will be delivered. When the messengers went out and reported this to the men of Jabish, They were elated. They said to the Ammonites, tomorrow we will surrender to you and you can do to us whatever seems good to you. The next day Saul separated these men into three divisions during the last watch of the night. They broke into the camp of the Ammonites and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered so that not two of them were left together. The people then said to Samuel, Who is it that asked, shall Saul reign over us? Bring these men to us, and we will put them to death. But Saul said, No one shall be put to death today. For this day the Lord has rescued Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there reaffirm the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and confirmed Saul as king in the presence of the Lord. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord, and Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. So, this morning I just want to focus on that. That's a long reading, I know, sorry about that. We need that, hopefully you'll see that. We're going to focus our our thoughts on just one thing this morning. And that is Is the advance of God's kingdom of utmost importance to us as believers? One of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples, his church, was this All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to, to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. But is that really at the forefront of our thinking as Christians. How many Christians today are just muddling through, just trying to to keep a grip on everything Um, and that, that means that the advance of God's kingdom is not really on the forefront of their minds, even the back of their minds, or anywhere in their minds at all. Maybe when we're focusing our minds on looking for a leader, we just want one who will do all of it on our behalf. The the leader, or leaders, will be the ones who go and make disciples. They'll be the ones who do that, and we will do whatever. After all, you know, that's what leaders are meant to do, aren't they? That's what kings are meant to do. The problem is, is that leaders can't do it on their own. They need the support of God's people in the advance of God's kingdom. One of the major things that comes out of 1 Samuel, one of the real major things that comes out of 1 Samuel, is the weakness of those who God chose to lead the people of Israel. We've already seen it with Eli and Samuel, and they chose their own sons to follow them. We've seen that, that weakness. Um, and and that comes out, and it's an important factor when we think about looking for a leader. Because leaders, pastors, are weak people, have all the fears and problems that, that, that you have, I know. Therefore, when it comes to looking for a leader, we cannot choose one who we think, personally, we think, here's somebody who just go out and do it all for us. Make the name of Calvary great in Sunderland. And leave us out of all the difficult stuff. We don't really want a leader who gets us involved in the difficult stuff. What we need to do is to choose a leader who we are willing to follow into battle, if you like. If we want to see the advance of God's kingdom, it's a fight for the advance of God's kingdom. And we need a, somebody who's going to lead us and who we are willing to follow into that battle, if need be. So today in our passage, we get a, an insight into the real Saul in these, in these chapters. Um, and we'll see that he was a fearful man, that he was a man who didn't get on with it didn't do it all on his own. He didn't get on with things. We're going to see that. But we also get an insight into a man whom God could use and did use. And when God came upon him in power and the people got behind him, then great things did happen. And I think it's really important for us as we think about that. It's no point thinking, you know, um, we just let someone do it all. We, We want somebody who's going to do it all. We want someone who we can say, we want you to do this, and we want you to do that, and we want you to do this. But when we say, we want you to do this, and we want you to do that, and we want to do that, we have no intention of doing this, that, and that with you. We just want you to do it. We've got to remember that even Jesus himself chose a team, didn't he? He had people who supported him. He didn't do all the ministry on his own. And that's really important. If we're not willing to get behind a leader, the leader that comes to this church, then we're not going to see the advance of God's kingdom. We're not going to see things happen as we want them to happen. And so it's really important that we focus our hearts on that. If God's ki- the advance of God's kingdom is important to us, that will be important in how we make our decisions and how we act in the weeks and months to come. So this morning I've got two points for you. And the first one is the weakness of Saul. The weakness of Saul. So the first part of Samuel ten, we see that Samuel anoints Saul and then gives him an itinerary of his journey. But just for time's sake, and just to to concentrate on the application really here, we need to focus on one little bit. So in verse five it says, after you after that you will go to Gebea of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high places with uh, ly- high place with lyres, tambourines, flutes, and harps being played before them, and they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. But then we see what actually happened. We see that that happened. The procession of the prophets came down. We see that Samuel prophesied with them. Um, and then we see all the people saying, a Saul also among the prophets, Um, and so on. After Saul stopped prophesying, verse 13, he went to the high place. And then Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, where have you been? So here we see the weakness of Saul. Because what's really interesting is that that God, Samuel said to Saul, your heart will be changed at Kabir, but then we read that actually God changed his heart before he actually left Ramah, where Samuel was. And then changed him again when he got to he's, the power of God came upon him at Gabeah so that he did um, that he did prophesy. But it's not what happened or what Saul did; it's what he didn't do that's important here. Because we're told very clearly, and the narrator tells us this, and Samuel tells us this, that at Gabeah there is a Philistine outpost. And then he says to him, "Do whatever your hand finds to do." Now we know, and the people, uh, Saul knew and Samuel knew, why God had given the people Saul. If you can't remember, we find that in verse uh, chapter 8, verse 16, where it says, uh, no we don't, perhaps just chapter 9, verse 16, sorry, um, where it says that, um, about this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, anoint him leader of my people Israel, he will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines Now when you read the, the, the text here, it's obvious, isn't it when Saul was told by Samuel, do whatever your hand finds to do right that he's referring to the Philistine outpost at Gibeah. That's why you've been anointed king, to get rid of the Philistines, Saul. But we also read, or we don't read, that Saul did anything about the Philistine outpost at Gibeah. What he did do is he went to Gilgal, the high place, and then he went home. There's no indication at all that Saul did anything apart from go to Gebir, prophesy, Go to the high place, Gilgal, meet Samuel, then go home. Even to the extent of the fact that the people all call Saul a prophet. Nobody's calling him king. He's not doing anything very kingly, has he? He's not taking this role on very well at this point. And that's highlighted, isn't it? In this text, in uh, chapter 10, verse 16, Saul's uncle said, "'Tell me what Samuel said to you.' Saul replied, "'He assured us that the donkeys had been found.' narrator, but he did not tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingship. He's not accepting this really very well at this point. And then, the second half of chapter 10, S- Samuel gathers all the people of Mizpah. It's a, a popular place. He gathered the tribes there before. And then he says, I'm going to show you your king. Here's the king. And he takes the the, the, the tribe of Benjamin. Um, and then he takes Matri's clan. And then he says, and here we have... Well, we don't have anybody. And why don't we have anybody? Because the king is hiding in the baggage. That's why we don't have him. He's not willing to accept this responsibility at this point. Our last message in this little series that we're doing, which will come to an end in March, is the story of David and Goliath. And the story there is of a young shepherd boy who steps out, of all the people of Israel, this young shepherd boy steps out to confront the enemy of God's people. What a difference we see between Saul and David. Here we see the weakness of Saul. He wants to hide away. He doesn't want to get on with anything. And that didn't change, did it? Because we even read about the people when, when they find him and drag him out of the baggage. The people say, "Oh, yeah, we like him. He's you know, long live the king." But he still doesn't change. Because it's interesting, isn't it? When I, I read and I read this, I find it really intriguing because the king comes out. Long live the king! Brilliant. And then it says, uh, verse twenty-five. Then Samuel dismissed the people each to his home, his own home. And Saul also went to his home in Gibeah. He's showing absolutely no authority whatsoever, is he? It's obvious that Samuel is still in charge and that Saul is doing nothing, showing no authority whatsoever, to such an extent that some people are already cheesed off with him. He's only just been shown as, here's your king. And some people are saying, can this 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 guy this guy save us? Can this fellow really save us? He's not willing to accept that. Saul kept silent. Didn't do anything. And then it even goes on into chapter eleven. Because in chapter eleven, Israel is under attack. And so the people, some messengers come out and they go to Gabia where Saul is. But it's interesting, isn't it? They don't go to Gabia and to look for the king. Let's go and tell the king what's happening. It says quite clearly, when the messengers came to Gabia of Saul and reported these terms to the people, they all wept aloud. Where's the king? Where's the king? The guy who's supposed to be in charge, the guy who's supposed to deliver us from our enemies, where is he? Just then, Saul was returning from the fields behind his oxen. Saul's out farming. I'm a king here. I don't really want to lead or be able to have authority. I just want to farm. That's what I want to do. It's clear, isn't it? From when you read this, if the people, were, if the, the 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 kingdom of God. If the kingdom of God in Israel was reliant upon Saul, it wouldn't have lasted very long. Saul was the man that that God gave the people because they rejected God and they had their own leader wish list, as we saw last week. Here's our wish list for a leader. God said, There you go. Here he is. This is the guy. This is the one you want. And it turns out to be a disaster. But, there's a big but, because we have chapter 11, or the, most of chapter 11. And it's, it's clear in chapter 11 that for, for God's kingdom to advance, that God and his people, including the leader, we're going to have to act as one in order for that to happen. So our second point this morning is the power of God. The power of God. When we read the New Testament... It's clear in the New Testament that the New Testament uses military language uh, to talk about the proclamation of the gospel, the advance of the kingdom. The New Testament uses military language um, to do that. We put on the full armor of God, don't we? We put on the full armor of God because our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers the, uh, powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The word... Is the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians six? In two Corinthians six verse seven, we venture out with weapons of righteousness. A few years ago, here on a Sunday morning, a, a few Sunday mornings, I did a series called "Into Battle," about how we need to go and pro- how we proclaim the gospel, and it's a battle doing that. Now, in recent years, this kind of language has been downplayed by Christians because. It offends too much. You know, we, we, we want to sit in our comfortable 21st century middle class lives. We don't want to think about going into battle. It offends people too much. And therefore, Christians think of themselves as marketeers, not soldiers. We're not going into battle, we're looking for potential customers for the gospel. We're not fighting for the gospel. And that's why there's a that's another nail in the coffin of the church in Western society. That's why the church fails in the West, because we're not willing to go into battle. But if God's kingdom is going to advance, then God's people have to go into battle. And the Old Testament stories of battles are here, not so that we can read them and get all excited, this is great, this is really, wow, this is great. There's people that are going to gorge out the right eye of everyone, this is great, this will make a great TV program. They're not not there for that. They're here to remind us in the 21st century that going into battle for the kingdom is is, is what we need to be doing as Christians, even now. And chapter 11 is an ideal example of that. So the the enemy is the Ammonites. We have uh, this this guy, Nahash, and he besieges this town on the eastern side of the Jordan, so on the east of the, the Jordan River, jabsh Gilead and he comes and he besieges the town and, and the people are left and they decide to make this treaty they want to make a treaty um, but Javish, uh, Nahash gives them seven days he probably gives them seven days because he doesn't want to think about well if, if the treaty doesn't work I'm gonna to have to fight and I'll lose some soldiers but he knows how dysfunctional israel is and that's why he sends he lets them send off these messengers out into Israel. And so these messengers arrive at Kabir. And as I said, Saul is out, out plowing his fields, quite happy, plowing his fields. He's done nothing remotely kinglike at all at this point, according to the narrator. And in reality, nobody is really bothered about him, I don't think, at this point, being the king. And you even have to ask yourself, don't you, when you read this, what happened to the valiant men of chapter 10, verse 26? Where are they at this point? Had they deserted him too? Had some time passed at this and had these valiant men whose hearts were touched by God decided, Saul, king, really? However, things were about to change. It didn't change because Saul did something. They didn't change because the people did something. They didn't change because the Ammonites did anything. Things changed because God did something. The power of God came upon Saul. And he was stirred up with righteous anger, wasn't he, about the situation that was going on. And it's a really interesting read, I I feel. Because I think if you read this, Uh, And you didn't get to verse 6 where it said, when Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came upon him in power and he burned with anger. You wonder what would have happened if the power of God hadn't come upon him at this point. But God's power did come on him. And it stirred Saul up. And Saul got the oxen he cut them up and he sent this message out that the people needed to follow. It was a bit brutal, but maybe he felt they had to be brutal to get a reaction. And this stirred Saul up, and and, and then it stirred the people up. Because it says, when the terror of the Lord fell on the people, they turned out as one man. I love that, that, that description. They turned out as one man. They turned out as one man to get behind their new king and to fight the battle. That's what happened. And the battle was won wasn't it? You know, the the, the the people got together, 300,000 turned up from Israel, 30,000 from Judah, that's, a, that's an army and a half, isn't it? Huge. Um, and they went into battle and they won. But it was God who initiated that battle, wasn't it? Saul didn't initiate it, and the people didn't initiate it. It was God who did that. And the overwhelming victory came about because of God. And this is really important for us to think about, I think, when we're thinking about choosing a leader. Because in chapter 11, verse 13, Saul says, when they ask about these troublemakers, Saul says, no one should be put to death death today. For this day, the Lord has rescued Israel. Now, you might have a different translation, which are a little bit better than the the NIV. It might say, the Lord has saved Israel, or uh, he has accomplished salvation for Israel. That's a better translation. And the battle for the kingdom of God, for us now in the 21st century, is about seeking to accomplish salvation. Now, we can't do that. Only God can save. But we have to be prepared to get into the fight in that battle to accomplish salvation. Ta- yeah, We've got to take this on board. Please take this on board. Right. God did not send Saul on his own to Jabesh gilead Or he didn't send Saul and the valiant men to Jabesh gilead They'd have still won the battle. If God would have sent Saul on his own, the battle would have still been won. But he didn't do that. God sent Saul, and he stirred up the people. He put the power of God upon him, came upon Saul, he stirred up the people, and the people turned out in their tens of thousands as one man. That's what happened. And that's what we need to be thinking about as we, this church moves on. Will we turn out as one man behind this leader? Are we willing to follow as one man behind this leader? Is this the person that we want to follow into battle? Are we prepared to do that? And maybe we shy away from the battle because we think it is a battle and I don't want to get involved. I just want the leader to do the the fighting. I want to stand back away from it. But we have to remember that the battle that we are in now for the proclamation of the gospel only comes after our appointed king, Jesus, has already won the victory. Doesn't he? Jesus already won the victory, just as God had already won the victory at Jabesh-Gilead. But He still sent the people there, and God still does that today. Jesus has already saved His church; He's done that. Okay, He saved His church. He has defeated the enemy. Our task is to fight our way past the ignorance and the unbelief and the sin of his church, those people that he will bring into his church who are besieged by sin and ignorance and unbelief to fight our way past that and bring those people or help those people to understand their need of salvation so that they come into the kingdom of God. But Jesus has already won the victory. We are on the victory side. Just as these people were even though they didn't know it. they won the victory side. It's always going to be a victory. But we have to show that we believe that by getting behind somebody who we're willing to follow. When somebody comes in, we've got to start all over again now, as we've said. Um, but we need to think about this and the whole reason about doing this, this, this series, was so we, that we think about it and we pray about it. Because it's important that, that the members of the church especially think about it and pray about it. You know, I'm, I'm still here, but... Not for much longer. Whatever happens, regardless, there's going to be a new pastor here, and he's going to have to come. But we need to—we don't need to be thinking. Let's get anybody in. Somebody who'll do. Somebody who 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 who'll fit the bill. You know, he'll he'll do some stuff, or somebody who we could just get on and do everything. We need somebody who who comes here, who we speak to, who stands at the front here. We think, here's a man inspired by the Holy Spirit who we are willing to follow into battle along with the other elders. That's really important. Saul did that in God's power and he was then confirmed as king, wasn't he? So as we finish this morning, as we conclude, um, let's go back to the beginning. Is the advance of God's kingdom of importance to you? Do we want to see the lost saved? Are we looking to, to go into battle? Are we looking for a leader full of the Holy Spirit who will inspire us to go into the battle as well? And that's really important. Really important. Especially for you who are going to be left here. Because I won't be left here in all Allison. But you, the, all of you will be. And it's really important that you think about that. You... Oh, you might not ag- agree with the, the, the way I do things, or I've done things over the last 20, 20 years. You might not have agreed with that. You might not agree with the way the elders of this church have gone into battle. But by he, by God's Spirit and the willingness of God's people in this church to follow those elders into battle, this church has grown over the last 40 years since it's been here, hasn't it? No one can, you can't deny that. But it's God's work, it's not my work, it's not the elders' work. God has done that. But as he's led, we've had to be willing to follow and we need leaders who are willing to follow and then people who are willing to follow the leaders. We need people to turn out as one man. That's what we need. And if that's not going to happen, then the God's kingdom will not advance in this place or in this village, in this community. It's really important for us. There's no point thinking, let's choose somebody. You know, I know... I know my weaknesses, okay? They're often pointed out to me, but I know them myself, okay? That's life, right? But there's no point if and I'll be honest with you now, because I can do this because I'm leaving soon, right? If somebody comes up here and says and stands here and says, Oh, I'm I'm good at doing this, 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 this fantastic evangelism. Brilliant, best preacher in the world, fantastic administration, uh, fantastic at discipling, fantastic at pastoring, all these things. And you're sitting there thinking, wow, this is great, this guy's going to do everything. We can just sit at home and watch Netflix for the rest of our lives. Fantastic. And the kingdom will grow. That's not going to happen, let me just tell you that. It's not going to happen if you choose somebody like that. That's the truth. Because unless we turn out as one man... That's what needed to happen here. That's what God gives us these stories in the Old Testament. So that we see that when God chooses his man and his power comes upon that person and the people get behind him as one man, things happen. If they didn't, things don't happen. If you left Saul to himself, things won't happen. If you left Andrew to himself, things don't happen. If you left a Andrew, Johnny, Johnny, Dave, Dave, Kevin, and Nathan to themselves, things won't happen. However much they th- they, they might think they would, they won't. We need to turn out as one man, and so we need a, a leader and an eldership who we're willing to follow. And that's really, really important for us. Saul was a weak human being, like I am, and like you are, whether you like to think of it or not, you are. And I'll like say that again because I'm leaving soon. You can dislike it as much as you like. But it's true. We're all weak human beings. And when it comes to things, you know, we've been watching Passion for Life, some of us, on a, on a, on a Sunday evening. And we've it, it, it's, it reminds us how weak we are. But what we can do in the power of God. And we need the power of God to help us. And we need the power of God to, to advance his kingdom here. And we need somebody who we are willing to follow into battle. So be thinking about that, brothers and sisters in Christ, especially if you're a member, because it'll be your responsibility. Thinking about that. Don't have your, as we said, don't have your own wish list about what this person might do. Think about, we need somebody full of the Holy Spirit who are willing to follow into battle as the kingdom advances here in this part of the world. I'm going to finish there, and we're going to pray. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we come to you again this morning, Lord. We leave ourselves in your hands as your people, Lord. I pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, Lord, that you would stir up all of us that have a desire for the advance of your your kingdom here on earth. For me, for for the other elders, Lord, for my brothers and sisters in Christ in this building, Lord. I pray now, Lord, that you just give us that, that real desire to want to see your kingdom move forward and for people to be saved. And I pray, Lord, that as we... Uh, focus our hearts again on uh, looking for a leader of these next few weeks and months, Lord. That you would stir us up, Lord. You'd help us by your Your spirit uh, to discern uh, somebody who we can follow into battle. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us do that. Lord, we are your people and this is your church. Lord, but we, we just pray, Lord, that you would really lead and guide us by your spirit. Lord, we pray, Lord, that even now, Lord, that there's somebody that you have out there, Lord, who will see the advert that goes out even tomorrow and know in their heart that they should apply for this uh, role. And I pray, Lord, that in the, the weeks to come, Lord, we might see somebody else standing here, Lord, who we believe this is the person that we could follow into battle. Help us, Lord, as we seek your will in this. Lord, be with us uh, throughout this day. I pray, Lord, that you just continue to help us to seek to serve you wherever we are, whatever we do. And I pray, Lord, that you might bless us, Lord, as your children here. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.